You are listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. your host and I'm super thrilled to bring you stories, inspiration and strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money and lead a movement to change the world. I am a digital communication and brand strategist, business advisor, award-winning author and a speaker. I am on a mission to help professional executives and entrepreneurs to become leading voices in their field by finding what makes them unique and creating compelling messages to the right audience. Are you struggling to find out why your message doesn't get the engagement you expect from your audience and customers whilst your competition seems to do very well? Well, apply for a complimentary assessment of your website to find out. I will personally review your website and show you what is confusing your prospect and the easy step to take to clarify your message. To claim this time-limited offer, go to francinebelay.com slash review, that's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash review. Today, we have on the show Hodan Nalaye, the founder of Integration TV, an online platform which reaches millions of viewers on YouTube. She is a social media powerhouse who has built the largest online platform sharing stories from Somali communities and Somalia. She also shares refreshing positive content from Africa and she's captivated by the power of story to change lives. Hi Hoden, welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with you today. Wow, I'm excited to have you on this show. I'd like to tell us, um, to our listeners, what actually you do on Integration TV. Um, Integration TV is what I call my little baby that I started when I actually had my second child. Um, It's just, it came about, I just decided that I wanted to tell stories about our community that nobody was doing on the internet. And I felt like it was so important because we've never had a voice as Somali diaspora to be able to share our own narratives. And it, and I think it was that inspiration that allowed me to create this platform that now is telling the stories of Somalis to Somalis and to outsiders to let them know, hey, we have a great culture. We come from a great country. We just, just like most African nations, suffered a little bit in civil war or something like that. But this is here to, um, this platform is here to share positivity about our people. Yeah. So what was your background before you started this uh, TV channel? What was your background and what you did before that? Well, similar to you, I come from a corporate background and I worked at, <laughs> I was part of the rat race, my corporate gig, and it wasn't until I gave birth to my second child that I went in the U.S. At the time, I was working in the U.S., and in the U.S., you have to go back to work after three months. So I remember going in on the third month with my breast full of milk, my child at home, and having to go back to work in um, the corporate world, and sitting there with my manager and thinking to him, you know what, this is not for me anymore. Here I am, a woman who has a child at home. I can't even take six months to breastfeed and to be home with that child and to raise them. And at that moment, I thought to myself, what is my purpose in life? Why am I working a corporate job where I'm making six figures, but I'm not getting a meaningful life out of it, where it's nothing, it's not contributing to the well-being of my children. So it was at that point that I just decided I was out of the rat race and I was going to change my life. Great. So what kind of corporate job were you doing? (laughs) 
I've always worked in business development and sales. Um, my early career started in radio advertising sales, where I say I sold air to people because <laughs> if you can sell air, you can sell anything, okay? So I sold radio advertising for a long time, and I worked in business development sales in the corporate world for a long time. So it's just ironic that I still am in media, but now I'm not consuming the media. I'm actually creating it. You're saying yes, of course, yes. So, uh, yes, yeah, so that I, I love about that. And I know that also, you know, um, you have, um, you know, to go back to school, actually. I've read that somewhere to yeah. create this channel. Tell me about that. What have you been doing there? So what happened was that I realized when I was in my corporate gig, you know, creativity kind of goes away with corporate jobs because we're so stuck in that nine to five world and just meeting deadlines and sitting in meetings all day. Yeah. So my passion was always growing up to be a journalist. And because I never had role models, I mean, I didn't know any Somalis that were in media. I didn't know any women that could support my career in Canada. I mean, my parents were first-generation immigrants that came and had 12 children to take care of and feed. They had no time to worry about a girl who wanted to pursue dreams to be a journalist. <laughs> They're like, why don't you study nursing, you know? So, yeah, something useful. <laughs> exactly. So nobody was going to help me become a journalist that I wanted to be. So it's ironic that in my late 30s, I went back to school, uh, refreshed my skills in media, um, took a broadcasting journalism course at the university, and that's where I started the journey. And then I decided, you know what, I'm not going to work for anybody else because I know what it takes to create media. And I know what media companies do. They create a sales department. They have a marketing outreach department. They have basically content creation department. Why can't I just become an economy of one of my own and start small and create basically my own media platform and learn all the processes of what it takes to do that? Yeah. So, but why, how, how did you finally, you know, what was that moment that you just say, okay, I'm going to become a journalist or, you know, and make that work? Because as you know, because I also am a trained journalist, which I didn't tell you, you don't get money off of journalism usually. How did you thought, thought that you're going to make this work? Well, <laughs> You know, to be honest with you, I had that same mentality as you for a long time because what happened to me when I was working in radio advertising is that my passion was always to be on the radio. Um, I mean, I was a teenager at 17 years old. I was winning awards in my university for having, a, you know, the best radio show on campus. And I never pursued it because I was scared. Just like you said, my parents told me, you're never going to earn money doing that. You're never going to be successful. Well, you know, why do you want to earn minimum wage when you have a university degree? But that was my passion. And I felt like I had the voice to be on radio. But I didn't pursue it because of that fear of lacking, of not being able, able, able to make money. And yet, Yes, journalism is difficult business to make money. You don't get in this business for the money. You get in it because you actually love it. Because it's that love that you have for it that keeps you going. You know, I would have quit a long time ago, last six years of doing this work, if it was about the money. But I know with the right work, with the right timing, the money comes. You just got to do the work. And I can say now, looking six years ago back to today, I'm, I'm just starting to turn profit on my company this year. And it's because of doing the work, building the audience, you know, taking care of the content, you know, creating the social media channels and developing, you know, content over and over and again, because you're only as good as your last story, as you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's challenging, but I think we got to get away from that creativity, that lack man mindset when it comes to creativity and saying people from our communities are not good enough unless they're doctors and lawyers or unless they have a nursing degree. But if they earn an okay income and they love what they're doing, what's wrong with that? Yeah, I think that your example is going to show the, the point. And then I've interviewed so many other women as well, uh, you know, from uh, different backgrounds, coming from different, uh, uh, you know, cultures, who also told me the same, actually, that, you know, they, they had that, uh, you know, feeling or desire to be creative, but they probably say, hey, 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 I didn't immigrate for you to just go and do this creative stuff, right? Uh, because that was the mindset before, where they thought that those creativity subjects were, 
were not like good as doctor, lawyer, or accountant. <laughs> um, so I think that with you and with people who are showing that with some creativity, um, you know, uh, some communication, um, you know, uh, degrees and um, skills, you can still make it. Uh, tell me also, why actually do you think that is it important that we tell our story? Well, that's what I actually was going to add to you is that if we don't have more storytellers from our communities, especially in the African diaspora communities, who's going to continue the tradition of storytelling? Storytelling has changed. You know, before it was the mom and dad sitting in the village talking to their grandmother and the grandmother telling the story and then the story continues. But media is changing. Social media has changed the game for how people learn about culture. So if we don't become the creators of our own content, we're going to be at the mercy of people telling the stories of Africa and that's what I realized a long time ago we need to invest in young people who can carry the torch because Africa was a tradition to tell stories it was tradition to learn from your grandparents but all that's disappearing because when the people die the story is dying but who's going to keep the stories alive yeah, so that's great. So I know that you also and your parents immigrated in uh, Canada. Uh, it was uh, back, how old were you when you immigrated? Uh, <laughs> you were five, yeah. <laughs> so I like us, you know, to, to tell us what was your life, especially the first few years when you arrived there. Are you back now in Kismayo, definitely, or you go back and I forth? Live in, huh? I live in Somalia, Kismayo, full yeah. time. Yeah. And I do in Canada. Okay. But, uh, I'll be honest with you, I think for me, we because my primary years were spent in Canada, I really didn't have much recollection of Somalia. But what I do remember now looking back at, you know, becoming a more interested in my parents' story and learning about their struggle was that it was a very difficult time for them. I mean, my father was a governor. He was, you know, living a great life. Here he is in Somalia getting picked up in Mercedes-Benz. We had a great life and he has to be uprooted to an entire country and start over his life as a parking lot attendant and basically, you know, just spending for his 11 children at the time. And then my younger sister was born three years after we arrived. So it's seeing their struggle now and I look back at it and, you know, I can't say that I, we've had issues in Canada because I'll be honest with you, the people were so nice to us and so welcoming when they brought us to Canada. Um, I can see like the generosity of strangers when we arrived in Edmonton, Alberta, the people who would sit down with us. And I remember there's one teacher that I will never forget her. She's passed away now. Um, Mrs. Hildebrandt, and she took so much interest in teaching us English. And I remember how, you know, just to see her proud face that within a year, two, three years of us speaking English perfectly, writing, and she was so excited for us. I mean, these were the kind of people that, you know, welcomed us to Canada. So I can't say I had a bad experience growing up, but I know that it was a traumatic experience for my parents to be uprooted and my mom to be, you know, in a minus 40 weather taking care of. 11 children to school. Seven, seven of us were under the age of 10. Wow. And had to get us dressed in their muff, ear muffins, you know, the ear muffins and all that stuff and the gloves. I mean, I just, it was like assembly line, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just honestly, I'm struggling with two children. And I always tell my mom, I don't know how you did 12, but God bless you because I'm not going past two. <laughs> Yeah, no, but that's true. Are, are they still there in Canada, your parents? Their parents are still yeah, in Canada? Yeah, the whole entire family lives in Canada still, yeah. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. uh, tell me how you you decided to come back in Kismayo. That's <laughs> <laughs> so weird, people. Um, well, I started coming back to Fort to Somalia about five years ago when I did my first documentary here, and I just fell in love with the country. I felt like my soul belonged here. It was, it was like the first moment I landed in Somalia and I did the first documentary in the Do show. I just felt like the country needed me and I felt like I needed it. So coming back for me is not as awkward as people think it is because my journey has been to come back for five years. It was just getting myself, my business established to be able to do that. Um, so I think it's like Africa needs us and we need Africa. Yeah, no, that's, I love that. So uh, tell me, uh, you know, uh, when, when you were kids, was it what actually was the job that you wanted to do? Were you dreaming of doing some a particular job when you were a kid? I have, ironically, the journals uh-huh. in my room. 
home, I wanted to be a TV host. Oh, okay. So it's not too far. (laughs) It's so weird. Like from the time I was, you know, going to school, I was very good at writing. Um, My parents thought for sure, okay, well, just a disclaimer, my parents for sure thought I was the most westernized daughter or child they ever had. They never thought I'd be interested in Somali culture or even in my own religion. They were like, this girl, she's so westernized. She's just going to be like, probably marry some white guy or something, you know? (laughs) So it's just ironic that like I became the most back to culture person and my entire family of the 12 kids. And I'm the first one after 35 years to come back to the country. Yeah, that that's so funny. How does that happen? I think it's knowledge seeking. I think mm. it's that when you're a conscious person, when you're aware of your environment, of you know the DNA, the dynamics of humanity, you become interested in your roots because you understand that there's nothing better than having the foundation of culture, even for our own children as Somalis. I mean, a lot of the problems that we have in the diaspora as Somali communities has to do with lack of identity. It's the children. They do not know who they are. Mm. Are they, you know, they move to these new countries. They have no establishment of, of culture, of religion. It's just that they're basically left to fend for themselves. And I think that's unfair. And I, and I think that, thank God I had good role models in my parents that I was able to have you know, a good career and a good life and education. Like many young Somalis are not fortunate to have that. They don't have the role models. They don't have the parents that have the will. So, you know, my pain came from wanting to save the next generation from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow, that's uh, important really to, to, to realize that, as you say. And um, yeah, so and I think that more and more people from the diaspora are realizing this at the moment. Uh, so is then next the practical way to make that happen i suppose (laughs) so now let's talk about meaningful work and meaningful life so when did you realize who you are and what you're meant to do in life you just talk about you know a lot of somali didn't understand who they are you know don't have that identity for you when was that that you realized who you are it was that moment when I landed in Mokdusho in 2014, December 7th. And I remember I was filming in the city center of the city. And literally, I stood on top of this like hill. And I looked over at the city that's destroyed by war. Um, and I just kept looking at it. And I think to myself, like, my God, like, look at this destruction. But yet there's so much beauty. And I felt like that was what kind of happened to me growing up was that, you know, because of lack of identity, because of who you are, because of where you grow up, that you become this destruction that basically you kind of are forced to become something you're not, to interact with you know, things that you're not interested literally in. So I think it was that defining moment for me that I decided I was going to invest in getting to know me and who I am and what I want to leave in this world. And I remember I had never worn a hijab before that day. Really? Ah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange. And literally when I was filming in Somalia is when I put on my hijab for that entire 10 days I was there. And I never took it off after that. Wow. My gosh. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, go, go on. Yeah. And and I think it's a, it's a spiritual indication of like feeling like you belong. I felt like when I went there, nobody looked at me like I was strange. Nobody cared that I looked, you know, had a darker complexion. I was different than them. They were welcoming me. And we never had that belonging in the diaspora. It was always about, oh my God, you're not enough. You need to act like this. You need to talk like this. You need to be this way. It was just a sense of belonging. And I said, you know what? I want that in my life. And I want to create that in my life forever. Yeah. But when you're back also in Somalia, are you not sometimes feeling that you are the white person there? They don't, they don't see you as the white person because this happens to me a lot in Africa. Where they think that I'm white, I'm black, but I'm, if they say that I'm white, <laughs> does that happen yeah. to you? <laughs> you know, you are going to be different in the environments there. But what I think is, what I love to focus more on is that not the fact that I'm different, but the fact that my heart is in a good place. Um, so it's when you have that heart-centered feeling of you belong, that these are your people, these are your brothers and sisters, and anything that you contribute to their lives 
is something, a gift that you're giving from your heart. I never think I'm any different than any person here locally. I just feel like we, I'm heart-centered and I want to give from my heart and I'm myself. Even if I don't speak the language well, I still will talk to them like I speak it well. Like, Who does this white woman think she is? She's not even Somali, you know? <laughs> I know that too. <laughs> Yeah. So tell me, what did you struggle, Onyo, what did you struggle the most in life throughout your life? Is there a struggle that you have to battle throughout your life? I think it was um, being able to express myself creativity-wise. Um, I think I struggled with having identity, with you know being part of a family that's so large mm. and having you know, siblings that are way older than myself. I and mean, we have a 20-year gap between my oldest sibling and I, right? So it was, it was different feeling of like, you know, who are you in the midst of these people? You know, what's your identity? How do you find acceptance of yourself? And I think when, when I gave up on my dreams of like doing media and, and journalism was kind of when I realized, you know what, if I had one more day to live, what would I want to do that day with my life? And I didn't want to struggle with that identity anymore. I wanted to find work that actually makes me a better human being, but also helps me contribute to the world. And I think I've done that with my platform. And, and I hope that, you know, in the, in the future, you know, we're all going to die. Um, if I pass away, I want people to, you know, remember my YouTube channel and Google the videos that brought them joy about their country that all that we've known was war about. All that we've known is that we're bad people, you know, and see that actually we're pretty decent human beings. And, you know, the culture here is really beautiful. It's entwined with the Islamic religion. Obviously, there's extremists everywhere in the world nowadays. But intrinsically, Somalis are some of the most giving, loving human beings I've been around. And I'm happy to call myself a Somali, whereas before I ran from that identity. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, so uh, who are you trying to please so much that you lost yourself? I ask this question usually because, you know, we are conditioned since childhood to either please um, people and then sometimes we rebel against that or we keep carrying on with the same pattern. In your case, which spectrum do you fit in? <laughs> Which end of this spectrum? Yes. You know, this is so weird. It just hit me. Right <laughs> I definitely say my mother because obviously my mom is such a powerful woman in her own way. Um, she's never really had formal education. She left school at grade three probably and was married at the age of 15. And she ended up having 12 children with my father. And, you know, to see her strength and always feel like you're not enough because here is a woman who's defied all odds you know who's been able to raise successful children in the diaspora and who survived all the struggles that were against her in in Canada and still was able to be there for her children I can't recall my mother ever having a social life her life was us her life was cooking three meals a day was waking up at 4 a.m making sure the kids close their iron for school you know these are things that people take so much for granted and I always felt like I would never be as good enough as my mom ever ah. <laughs> that's cool so when you look back actually at your childhood uh, how would you say that it has prepared you to be who you are today I think coming from we underestimate the value of coming from a home where children receive all their basic needs and kindness and love you know if you have a loving family you are better off than many people in this world. And, and I think coming from a family that was really bonded and strong and reinforcing and helping each other all the time in, you know, being a mentors to each other and our mentees also, um, I think those things are such undervalued in, in society. Forget about money, forget about people working this rat race of trying to make so much money. You know, if, if a husband and a wife are both working outside the home and they have children to raise, maybe these are, it's time that we reevaluate those things because children need parents at home. I mean, if you're not raising your children, society's raising that. And I think when I realized that, that's why I didn't want to be part of the corporate world. It was teaching us values that were not good for society. 
if children are not raised in a loving, kind home, it's hard for them to give that back to the world. Yeah, no, that's so powerful, actually. So when you also, um, you know, think about, um, you know, back in your life, what would you say was one of the toughest moments that you have incurred, but actually ended up to be a blessing in disguise? I'm sure that you have many of those. (laughs) Um, I I try to close this chapter, but it always keeps coming up because so many women are inspired by the story that's happened to me, you know, um, I became famous in my community because I went through a divorce and I was able to go back to school and define the odds and basically be a single parent and tell women they can do anything they want with their lives. They don't have to settle. They don't have to be sad because in our communities, divorce is seen as a big taboo. So um, going through a divorce was the biggest change in my single change in my life. It woke me up spiritually. It made me realize that I had strength that I didn't know I had. I mean, I've been raising my children by myself now for the past seven years. Um, So it just made me realize that, you know, the strength that we have as women is powerful, but we need to also share that with other women that they can also have that strength. You know, they don't have to be depressed because they went through a divorce because your children are looking up to you as a role model. So what do you want to emulate for them in this world? What do you want to show them? You know, I want my kids, even though they know that I'm a single parent, I was raising them on my own. I want them to know I'm still okay human being. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I've seen your tips for the uh, um, uh, mom day, I think it was, and then how, you know, the positive uh, power of the words that you were asking people to, yes, tell to, um, you know, their children, you know, and it's important to really, you know, reinforce those positivity, you know, because this is how they're going to grow up. In African cultures, emotional intelligence is not really seen as a nice character trait. But um, I've always been a very sensitive, emotionally intelligent human being, even as a young child. And I want to give that to my children, that it's okay to be able to feel for others, to be able to, you know, have empathy. It's, it's strength. You know, it's not necessarily that, you know, what we've been taught in the African cultures is that these things are not strengths, they're weaknesses. Yeah. You're weak. Why are you crying? You know? <laughs> <laughs> So I think it's good to have, you know, what you practice in your own life, you could teach your children, but you have to be aware of those things. I mean, so many women are walking around unaware of who they are, unaware of their power, unaware of their confidence that they can build for their own lives. And not necessarily, I'm not talking about economics. I don't want people to get away from that, always focusing on people making money. Money is not the end of all. What's more important than money is you being able to develop yourself. When you develop yourself, you can make money in this world. But if you come from a lack of place all the time, whether I'm not good enough, I'm a single parent, I can't make it, you know, that my man left me, mm-hmm. these things contribute to lack. And we yeah. have to keep away from that. Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> so what was actually, again, uh, one of the moments that actually things turned out for the better for you, the turning moment where you definitely click that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm up to, you know, where I'm going. I'm up for that. <laughs> Can you remember? Yeah, um, I think it was the day, I, like, my youngest child, actually, he's seven now, and when he was born, I made the decision that I was no longer going to be in a marriage that I felt like was not conducive to my well-being as a human being. And I remember, you know, it was just his birthday, literally a year ago, that I felt like finally look back, because his birthday is always coincided with the, my divorce time. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the thing is, it's, it's so weird how life works, right? But he's also the reason I am the person I am today because I wanted to raise my child in a good, loving home, you know? And I think so many people don't take the ownership of life decisions. And I think it was that moment I realized I finally arrived. I've healed. I've let go of the past. You know, my son just turned six. It took me five and a half years to literally get to that stage of healing 
where your body physically, emotionally, you know, mentally, everything's come together and you can say, I'm ready for that new woman I am today. Yeah. Where do you derive all your strength as your wisdom though? <laughs> because, you know, you've been talking to me, but I, I, I feel the strength and the wisdom in you. Where do you derive this from? I've always been an old soul. Uh, yeah, my parents I can feel old. that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I look so young, but I'm not really yeah. young. It's just, I think it comes from, well, part of my wisdom is also going back to my religion and focusing on, you know, studying, uh, you know, what it takes to be a valuable human being in your life. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with just realizing that, you know, you need to give yourself as much as you give to the world. And so many people don't do that inner work. I mean, I'm not interested in talking about people's lives, gossiping. I'm interested in how can I be a better woman today? How can I be better than the person I was yesterday? I mean, if, I, I know you told me you've been following me for three years, but some people meet me today in Somalia and they're like, you're so different than the person we met on TV five years ago. I'm like, of course, the only things that don't change are dead things. You know, the trees change, nature changes. We need to grow. There's no evolution unless there's change. So, there's, you know, people need to realize that we're just the nature is just like us. We are made of water. We are made of everything that God has created in this universe. So what we need to focus on is why do we get stuck in life? Why do we get stuck on, oh my God, I'm divorced. I'm going to be sad for the rest of my life. You know what? That tree grows in the fall. The leaves fall off. It moves on. So we need to become like that. And I think I learned that from my Somali community in Somalia. These people have been at war for 30 years, have been in civil war, struggle, but they're still surviving. They're living like intense. They're happy. They are, they are okay with their lives. They are okay with whatever they eat today. They're not looking for more than what they have. They're not asking for a loan to buy a bigger house. They're not looking for that brand new Mercedes. They are happy. And, I, and that's when I realized happiness comes from being content and realizing that life moves on and you've got to learn how to keep moving or else you'll be stuck. Yeah, wonderful. I've seen those uh, small kids in your last video, or the one before the last, where you were with the Italian man and you were having some tea or something. <laughs> they were really happy. They seem quite happy, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a culture that doesn't really engage children. It's a lot of social activities in Somalia revolve around you know the older people and the men, typically. Even women don't have spaces where they come and chat. But what I find is that, like, I have this childlike presence always about myself. And when I meet children, I always feel like I'm that child that didn't have that growing up life in Somalia. So how can I give joy just to another child? And having tea with those kids that day made me realize, my God, like everybody just wants to be validated in life. They want to feel special. That's totally. <laughs> <laughs> they did feel special. I could see that in their eye. They were really proud of being at the table. <laughs> of, uh... yeah. and, and, and before that, they were just standing around watching. <laughs> you know? And then you invited them. They, they were just watching you and then you invited them to come and take tea with you. Remember, remember a cup of tea is expensive for the average Somali here. Yeah. So to sit down with someone and have tea, it's an honor for them. Wow. You know, and, Things that we take for granted. Here we are drinking $5 Starbucks coffee, you know, past. <laughs> I mean, I, I recently got remarried six months ago and my husband, he always laughs at me because, you know, now I look at him and I'm like, oh, today I went to the market and I bought this, but it was a dollar. It was really expensive. He's like, the girl who came from a country that was living six-figure life and you're like now saying a dollar of honey is expensive because I connected my mentality to the everyday person here. Of course. You know, if I'm paying a dollar for just one teaspoon of honey, that's expensive. Yeah, of course that's expensive. I'll do exactly <laughs> the same thing. I'll, I, I, I just, I, I just were in the environment I'm in, you know, if you go, I go there, of course I'll, you know, one dollar is going to be too expensive. I'm going to find 50p <laughs> honey. <laughs> So uh, tell me, yeah, what is your superpower, um, you know, hold on. My superpower? Um, I definitely think that it's my smile. 
I feel like my smile shows resilience and no matter what's happened in my life, I've always kept my smile. And, and I think that's the hope that I give my community when they see me enjoying my life, being happy in my own country. They're like, if she could do it, we can probably go back to Somalia and enjoy life here. So I think it's being able to be resilient despite everything you go through. And at the end of the day, come home and be able to still smile at your children, at your husband, at your family, and feel like you matter. Your stories matter. You matter in this world. If you die today, somebody's going to say that person matters. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So now it's time to talk about money. I know that money is not important, but it's important a bit, a little bit. So how do you manage actually to do both what you love and get paid for it? The reason I ask that is actually sometimes... You know, as you know, some people are very, very passionate about what they're doing, but get paid nothing for that. And other people get tons of money and really hate what they do. How do we manage to both, you know, what is meaningful, what we love doing and get also paid for it? Yeah, I mean, like I said, money is important. I have children, so <laughs> don't want to it. it's not important. But it depends on what you consider. We have to figure out what can you live with. I mean, mm. I, I follow many social media influencers like Gary Vee. Mm. And I remember one of the things that he always says was that, you know, it's okay to eat a can of tuna and not have to go out for fish dinner every night, you know? So it depends on the lifestyle that you are living. You have to make a lot of sacrifices when you start out a creative career. Mm -hmm. You can't live a five-star hotel life, you know? I think, yeah, you (laughs) can't make money. So what I learned was that over the past six years, I've just been fine-tuning my business. Um, My YouTube channel is actually a gift to my Somali community. I don't generate revenue for my YouTube channel. This is just content I put out and create because I love it. And I want people to have that same feeling when they come to the country when they're outside the country. What I do for a living is actually media production. So I create content for bigger corporations. And I also create um, what you call like um, distribution. So we produce TV content. I'll produce TV shows and we distribute it for the client on television here in Somalia. And so it's, it's having a business but also living your passion through your business. My passion is really my business, but I know that at the end of the day, that doesn't pay my bills, but I love it. But I know that I've combined my passion with something that streamlines the income. I've learned how to, um, because I have a strong marketing background from selling radio air for so <laughs> Yeah. Advertising. Um, I have a strong marketing background and I know what it takes to build digital communities. And I do that for a lot of my clients now. Uh, we build their digital community space by having them reach Somali audiences. And that's what's so important. It's such a valuable skill in this digital age. Marketing's changed. So how do you influence young people that are going to be the biggest consumers even more as they as, as the platforms change? Snapchat's changing daily. Instagram's changing daily. Yeah. So it's educating our clients to know, you know, where do you find the audience and how do you do messaging? And what I'm hoping is that by having this niche business is create content that actually changes the lives of Somalis in the country. We didn't have anybody who creates content in the Somali language that, that shares, you know, health issues, telling women how to take care of their bodies. I mean, we still live in a country where one in 10 women still die from giving birth and children don't even make it to their fifth birthday. So we need to educate our community through the Somali language, through engaging content on how to take care of their bodies, how to be wholesome in their own nation. And we can only do that through media. And I'm hoping that my purpose is evolving as every year goes, but to be able to become that company that does that for a lot of the, you know, nonprofits or or corporations in the UN that are doing programming because everybody's trying to help, but nobody's getting the message to the people. Yeah. 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 You need the message. If you don't create the message that reaches the right people, What's the point of your advertising? I mean, I go walk around Somalia and I see billboards in English, but 90% of the population doesn't read English. So it's like, hello, United Nations, wake up. You're just putting billboards in my country that don't matter to people. So we need to think about how do we market to change people's lives, the new content that they need for information. 
Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Um, can you share also other ways that, um, you know, some ways that some people, for example, if they are still in corporate job, for example, today, what are some of the ways that they can also find to create, um, you know, um, you know, more income for themselves if they are trying actually, or, or they are tackling the idea that they want to perhaps jump out of corporate sometime. <laughs> yeah, I have to also mention that I actually do get paid for speaking engagements. Um, and I think that women, what I want women to understand is that their stories matter. Um, a simple way to generate income that I found is, you know, speaking in public. So many people are scared to share their stories, but if you are that person who can go to events, attend conferences, inspire people, you can make an income from that. I mean, two, three, ten dollars extra a week for you as a woman that goes and tells her story to a group of other women. Those are powerful things. So many of us live behind our stories. It's time that we live in front of our stories and we tell people because the more your story is heard, the more you heal, I think. And if it wasn't for my story sharing, I don't think I'd be the woman I am today. And no. to heal myself, it means to heal other people. And then I wouldn't have found you. And yeah, oh my gosh, can you believe that? <laughs> I would not have found you. <laughs> so now it's time to for our last section, which is building a movement, which I'm sure that you feel that you are building. Which movement are you building at the moment or would like to lead? <laughs> My movement is pretty simple. It's literally, I have a book that I wrote a note in five years, seven years ago, at the same time, it's that seven year mark. And it said, do we have the book here? What's like, the book called? I didn't know that you wrote a book. Oh, yeah. It's not a really a book. It's just my notebook. I write. <laughs> but my movement is to inspire people to live their best lives. Yeah. You know, for so many generations, especially in my community, we've never been able to live a creative life. We've never been able to have arts last 30 years we've never been able to express ourselves i mean when my youtube channel started there was no somalis on youtube now there's thousands you know just one person to open that door yeah you know there was there was hardly anybody coming back to the country now there's thousands coming back now there's people investing in the country so for me it's about being in the future, what it looks like. The movement of the future is people coming back to their country, investing in it, developing it. You know, God has given us one of the most amazing countries in the world, the largest coastline in Africa. Mm. <laughs> I mean, fresh, I eat fresh fish, um, lobster. I need so, to get there quickly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm having organic, you know, no way. mangoes, okay? <laughs> like organic, you know, like honey all these things that are fresh in our country that people are searching for all over the world and we have it here. So when I realized a meaningful life for me is being able to live a good quality life, not having to be chasing that dollar all the time, but saying what is enough for me to live and what is enough for me to thrive and what is enough for me to give back to people. So if we can give that to more human beings, that this rat race that we've been taught in the West of having a bigger home, bigger mortgage, bigger car, you're never good enough until you get that Louis Vuitton bag, you got your you know, Donna Karen jacket. You know, you've been there. Come on, girl. When I see it, I laugh. I'm like, honey, I am content wearing my Somali sheets, Batsy, okay? Like, I don't care. Those things don't define who I am. What defines who you are is, are you a good human being? Are you making other lives better? Are you taking care of your children, your family? Those are valuable things. So I hope that we can inspire more young people to live their life through less materialism and more meaningful work and giving back to the world. Great, great talk. Okay, cool. What do you want to be remembered for, actually? If, you know, there is something that you want to be remembered for, what would that be? I would love to be remembered for the woman who changed Somalia. Mm. Yeah, you are living it already. <laughs> no, it's not in the future. Our dream should be in the present. Yes, of so course. Whatever I want to create in the future, I'm already living today. I yeah. want to be remembered as that woman who used her talent yeah. to change Somali society with media. 
Wow, that's powerful. Now is the time that we. Go- I'm going to shoot some quick question, and you're going to give me shoot a quick answer. One, okay. what did you learn from all your experiences that you most want to transmit to others? Never give up. Super. So one, one object, only one, not two. One, can you take with you, would you take with you on a desert island? Does that include a cell phone? <laughs> <laughs> you can, but that would be just that. <laughs> one object and nothing else? No, nothing else, just one. <laughs> Why does it have to be an object? This is what I'm talking about. Material. Okay, it can be anything. Oh, I like my husband, that's it. One thing, you take your husband. <laughs> That's good. That's cool. Why does it have to be an object? That's no, it doesn't have to be an object. It can be a person as well. That's good. So what do you regret having or not having done earlier in your life? Well, as a Muslim, um, technically, we should never have any regrets because everything that happens to us in life is for the good of you. And mm. that means that meant to progress your life mm-hmm. so um, if I was to have any regret I think it would have been that I wish I would have stayed on my career early I wish that when I was 17 and producing radio content that I never gave up I wish that I would have kept going because I probably could have been you know one of the top broadcasters around the world but because I didn't have that confidence and that self-esteem you know I didn't live that dream but you know what I'm living that dream today Exactly. And then you acquire some great marketing skills in the meantime exactly. <laughs> to be able to promote. I'll be honest with you, I feel like it's perfect timing. It's defined timing. It's the timing of your life is not defined by yeah. other people's milestones. It's about us defining those. I mean, I feel more youthful, um, younger, more beautiful, more confident than I ever did in my 20s. Yeah, cool. So what is now your definition of meaningful work and meaningful life? Meaningful work, meaningful life means to me having the ability to control your time, to be able to say, today, I don't want to go to work. I want to spend more time with my kids. I want to go to the beach with my husband and children. I want to be able to do this. I want to go through that. That's meaningful life is to be able to control your time. Mm, Cool. Any last piece advice that you have, um, you know, to share with our listeners and whoever would like to lead this meaningful life? Yeah. I mean, I will leave you with this thought. When I started this journey, I didn't think I would become the woman I am today. If you're out there listening, I want to encourage you, you know, whatever you're struggling with today, you can overcome it. Struggles happen to us because it's God's way of trying to teach us how to gain strength in our own lives. So the more stronger you become, the easier life becomes for you. So I want to encourage every woman out there who's listening to us to stay in the game, to be strong, to realize that it's a muscle that you have to build every day our strength as women and never give up on your dreams and never listen to anyone who tells you you're not good enough. You are enough where you are in life. Mm, cool. So, okay. Now, can you share some resources that our listeners should absolutely know about to do more meaningful work and live a meaningful life? Um, yeah. So I'm a big fan of, like I said, podcasts. Mm-hmm. I love listening to podcasts. One of my favorite podcasters I listen to is Jim Quick. I don't know if you know him. No, but I might yeah. go and listen later. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Quick. How do you, uh, Quick is like Quick? Like Quick? Yeah. The no, word he's quick? Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he has a podcast called um, Quick Brain, and he teaches people different ways to use their brain to enhance their lives. Because, you know, we spend so many years developing the body, but we never think about the brain. The brain is where all our central machine is. How do you develop strength? You know, there's times that in Somalia, it's difficult for me because I had to do laundry at times by myself with my own hands because it's hard to find a machine here sometimes in Kismaya. But then I realized this is building my strength. So you have to think about challenges as ways to, you're going to build something greater yeah. than you. Yeah. So I love, I love listening to podcasts like that. I love listening to 
you know, people's stories, you know, listening to motivational speakers like Les Brown. When I was going through my divorce, he was the one who believed me, your dream is possible. You can do it. You know, don't underestimate the value of motivational speaking and listening to people that can change your mood. Your mood can go from zero to 10 with the right speeches with the right motivation daily so, so don't think motivation as something you do once in a while do it every day to enhance your life because you need the good word you need people that have lived the experience that you can learn from yeah totally so now how can people reach you and learn more about you and what you'll do in your work so I'm really big on YouTube. You can yeah. watch my YouTube channel, but I share most of my insights on Instagram. You can yeah. follow my Instagram at Hoden TV yeah. on YouTube with Integration TV. And I love Twitter because I get to share, you know, my daily thoughts on Twitter, whether I wake up at 3 a.m. or whether I'm up at 2, doesn't matter. People are still going to read it. So <laughs> Twitter is where I hang out at Hoden TV on Twitter. Cool. Thank you so much, Hoden. That was a fabulous, fabulous time with you, actually. And I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for contributing to a better narrative of us as women and also as Africans. And we need more people like you. So thank you for everything you do also. Thank you so much. So what was your key takeaway from this episode? What are you committed to do today to find more meaning in your work and live a more meaningful life? If you'd like to clarify your goals and achieve them faster, there are three ways to do that. One, get my book, Personal Branding in the Digital Age, How to Become a Known Expert, Thrive and Make a Difference in the Connected World, available on Amazon, iTunes, Audible, as ebook, audiobook, paperbook. Second is to work one-on-one with me to clarify your objectives and achieve them faster. For that, you need to book a call at francinebelly.com slash call that f-r-a-n-c-i-n-e-b-e-l-e-y-i.com slash call and there is a third way which is a time limited offer if you are struggling to find why your message doesn't get the engagement you expect from your audience or your customers whilst your competition seems to do very well apply for a complimentary assessment of your website. I will personally review that and show you what is confusing your prospect and the easy steps you take you can take to clarify your message. This is a time limited offer. Go to francinebelly.com slash review that's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash review to submit your website. So the show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelly.com slash podcast with all the references and resources shared on the show. Whilst you are there, leave a message in the comment section to let me know about your key takeaway from this episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support, subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a five-star review. It will take you a minute, but this will mean a lot to me and help me also spread this message for many people. Thank you for listening to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. They show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I will see you next week for another brand new epic episode of this season three. Until then, dream, act and make an impact. Lots of love.